Welcome to the Beautiful Life Podcast. This message is by Debbie Desmond. So, Father, we just want to thank you for your love and your presence and your goodness here. Thank you for each and every one of us. And, Lord, we just ask that you would now just give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. Reveal yourself to us. That's why we came here, to connect with you, to to be filled with you. Filled, filled, filled. Because you are our life. You are truly life. You're the way. You're the truth. You're the life. Come now and be that all to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So to, today, um, we're sort of going to sort of look for maybe a couple of weeks, speak around it, it's all as the Lord leads, um, about the, the topic of beauty. Um, and, um, so I've, it's just appropriate to have a beauty speak on beauty. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, but um, I've been reading a couple books um, recently, and the whole topic of beauty has come up again. Um, I've been reading a book called Culture Care, um, and um, a book on, oh, just various different books. And you know how God brings a whole lot of things, and they're all on the same topic. Of course, Nigel, in my book is called It's a Beautiful Life. So it's already a, a topic that's dear to my heart. But God's just going sort of another level on this. And um, and, you know, there's that um, quote um, by Dostoevsky. Dostoevsky. Okay, there you go. And he says, beauty will save the world. So I thought you could just share where that comes from. Well, there's a story that's told around uh, that uh, thing, beauty will save the world, that in, I can't remember the exact century, but the Russian Federation or the Russian Empire was looking for a new religion and uh, uh, um, Vladimir the Great was not not the current Vladimir, different Vladimir. <laughs> Vladimir the Great was looking for a religion to unify the Russian peoples, and so he sent out envoys into all the surrounding uh, surrounding kingdoms to look at their religions and to come back and bring back a report. And when they came back, they came back with reports of the different religions and different moral codes, some of which were esoteric, some of which were austere, some uh, some of which were uh, mystical, etc. But the envoys who came back from Constantinople, where they had encountered Christianity, came back and they reported to, uh, to Prince Vladimir and they said, when we walked in there, we did not know if we were in heaven or on earth. So beautiful was the place that we had gone into. And they began to describe the beauty and the aesthetics of Christianity that they had seen. Probably the um, the Hagia Sophia and the music, etc. And on the basis of the aesthetics of Christianity, um, Prince Vladimir and his envoys accepted Christianity as the, Christi- as the religion that would unify their empire. And so it can be said that, that beauty will save the world. You see, there's something in our God that is so unutterably Beautiful. There's something in each of us that resonates with beauty. That when we see it, we recognize and realize we're seeing an echo of heaven. And so, yeah, that's where the phrase um, has gone into the culture. So we want to explore this concept of beauty because um, 
because we want it to be part of our culture, because if it is valuable, and in the world where we live right now, we live in a very utilitarian um, society. Um, it can be very utilitarian, and the value of beauty is declining. And we need to decide whether that's something we embrace or whether we actually value it. Quite a few weeks ago, we spoke about boundaries, how God has boundaries, and those boundaries are there because they are to protect something valuable. So the question that we want to ask when we're sitting here in the next couple of weeks is, is beauty valuable? Will beauty change the world? Will beauty change my world? Okay? Will it change the world? Will it change my world? Because if it is valuable then we need to put boundaries around it, make sure that we value it, and as such, make a point of putting things, structures in place so that it's something that we are constantly um, valuing. Um, And when I'm talking about beauty, I'm not talking about just aesthetic beauty, the beauty that we experience with our five senses, what we see, what we hear, but also the intangibles like the nurturing of a mother's love, the courage of a hero, um, the kindness, peace, peace in a meadow, all those are beaut- uh, different kinds of beauty. Um, and um, I even um, was reading in this book, this one um, author speaks about just the beauty of your life being like poetry, um, of how beautiful your actual life how, how you make your life beautiful, both with the tangibles and the intangibles, okay? Psalm 27 verse 4, this is David speaking, the man who was the king of Israel, as well as he was said to be a man after God's own heart. And he said, one thing have I asked of the Lord, and that I will seek after. So this is his one thing that I may dwell in the house of the Lord in his presence all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. So for David in the Bible, the king of Israel, this mighty warrior who like was, I mean, he killed Goliath, he killed the bear, you know, this amazing um, king of Israel Um, as well as this man after God's own heart, his one thing was to dwell in God's presence um, all the days of his life and to gaze, to constantly have his gaze on the beauty of the Lord. Constantly have his gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. So, you know, when I think about that, I think, well, I think we're getting a little bit of an answer That obviously, God's beauty, the beauty of the Lord, must have some value because that was part of David's one thing. Um, As we see, as we go over this, we're going to realize that God is ultimate beauty. He himself, his person, is ultimate beauty. And um, beauty, actually every bit of beauty around us is actually just a reflection of of God's infinite beauty. And, I mean, I, I just wrote a list of things. And, I mean, this is just, I mean, I, I, this is not even, it's the, the tip of the iceberg of the tip of the iceberg. You know, it's the tip of the tip of the iceberg, if you understand what I'm saying, you know. But I think of, these are things that I just wrote down just quickly. 
Um, so many beautiful things in creation. The golden light sunsets, crashing waves on the seashore, storms lighting up the sky, the northern lights, rainforests with all their living beauty and sounds, majestic architecture. Um, what about Fibonacci's spiral in mathematics? Um, you know, because it, science is beautiful. Maths is beautiful. Nurt- the nurturing love of a mother, like I mentioned, the strength of a man at his hard labor, the love of a husband and a wife, dancing, singing, feasting, celebrating, having a party, um, the strength of an athlete, um, the sacrificial love of a parent. These are just some of incredibly beautiful things um, that we, we can see. And sometimes, and what we're going to talk about is sometimes we know they're there, but we don't actually take the time to gaze on them. Um, I absolutely love this quote that I'm going to um, read to you on, by Mike Bickle. I think it sums up this concept um, that all the beauty around us, everything, the things that I've mentioned and the numerous multitude of other beautiful things that we get to experience. So one thing that I think is so amazing about God that he was abundant with the beauty that he put around our lives. Like he didn't have to make sunsets. He didn't, I mean, he even took these beautiful little flowers and put them in the middle of a forest that hardly any of us get to see. It's like he's put his beauty everywhere. And it's abundant. It's everywhere. But the amazing thing is about these things that, like, if you stand in front of a sunset and you look at this beautiful sunset, and and I don't know about you, but there's some sunsets where you just really, truly just stand in awe of the beauty of it. These There's so many aspects um, like that. I, I, I think I saw Brandon standing in awe of um, of his bride when she walked down the aisle. It was a beautiful sight to see. He was definitely in awe. And so many of these things around us, but they literally are a tiny reflection of the beauty that is and comes from God. And this is what Mike um, Beckel said. I'm just going to say it really slowly, and then I'm going to pause afterwards so that you can really just absorb it. I love it. It says, the heart of God is a wonderland, a universe of beauty like no place mankind could dream up. All beauty on earth is merely a reflection of him. Even the most beautiful thing you can think of will one day be swallowed up by the beauty of his heart like the beam of a flashlight in the intensity of a thousand suns. Wow. 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 Isn't that amazing? I love that. It's like the, the, the thing that, like the sunset or your bride walking down the aisle or, you know, when you see the victory of um, an athlete, you know, after they've been persevering and you've been rooting for them and they come over, there's something beautiful out over and they've triumphed, you know, whatever it might be, whatever beauty, that, that is, this is what I love to think about. It says, even the most beautiful thing you can think of will one day be swallowed up by the beauty of his heart, like the beam of a flashlight in the intensities, intensity of a thousand suns. Like the, the, the little beauties that we see around is like a flashlight 
in comparison to the beauty of God, which is like the intensity of a thousand suns. Isn't that amazing? Um, Because God is truly the source of all beauty. Um, In fact, um, Genesis 1 verse 31 says, remember God says he created this and he created that, and then it says, and God saw what what he had made, and indeed he said it was very good. That word is the Hebrew word tub. And that word good, if you go and look in the Hebrew definition, it says good, beautiful, etc., etc. So that word can also be beautiful. And God saw that it was beautiful. He is the source of every beautiful thing on earth. Um, Exodus um, 33, Moses says, um, ask God. This is such a famous scripture, so you'll know. It says, then Moses said, now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. And the Lord came down in the cloud and stood um, there with him and proclaimed his name. In other words, he, he revealed his character. And um, that word, and he said, so God said, show me, um, Moses said, show me your glory. And God said, I will cause my goodness. That word goodness, again, is tab. I will allow my beauty to be, I will, I will let my beauty come before you. Now we know, like, oh, of course, you know, if you, if you think about it, that's why Moses' face was lit up, glowing, that they couldn't even look at him because of the radiance um, of God's beauty, the beauty of his person. Like, uh, that's why I love what Michael Bigger says, the, uh, the, the heart of God is a wonderland, a universe of beauty, like no place mankind could dream up. Like, no wonder David said um, that I may gaze on the beauty of the Lord. I mean, because you're looking into this amazing, beautiful, wonderful God that is so full of beauty. The definition of glory in any um, uh, dictionary is, uh, it says, something that is the source of admiration, honor, and fame. And in God's case, it really is the beauty of his person. That's what he, uh, Moses asked, show me your glory. It's how perfect, his perfect beauty in every way he relates and who he is. That is his, that's what, you know, we think of a sunset like, wow, that's amazing. We stand in awe and the glory, you know, you said like the glory of a sunset just like a little torch beam in the light of God's amazing, beautiful, incredible glory. So Moses got to experience the awe and the exhilaration of witnessing God's glory, um, his beauty in this astounding, incredible way. And we see God passing in all of his goodness and beauty before Moses and proclaiming his name, his character, who he is. That's why in the Bible, I'm sure when people, they, in the Old Testament, they said they just fell over because they could, you like, like if you were in 
in the beam of a thousand suns, you'd also fall over. It would sizzle up and die. <laughs> um, what Moses was seeing was God's holiness, his unfathomable uh, um, goodness, his rightness, his perfection, his abundant life, which causes all to be well and blissful and full of joy and simply stunningly beautiful. Um, so I wanted Nigel just to come give us a definition of beauty before we end. Holiness. I mean, sorry, beauty, holiness. So um, this is just something we've written in our book. Um, a couple of years ago, the Lord just began speaking to us about holiness, what it, what it looks like. Because the Bible speaks about the beauty of God's holiness. So the Lord dropped this illustration into our spirit. Um, imagine if there was, you, you were ministering to someone and they had a spirit of anger. They were possessed by a spirit of anger. What is the fruit, do you think, of a spirit of anger? Anyone? Anger. Now, that's, that's very good. Okay. So the fruit of a spirit of anger is anger. What, what do you think the fruit of a spirit of lust would be? Anyone? It's not a trick question. Lust. Yeah, here we go. Okay. So we, we're getting better. So um, what do you think this, uh, the fruit of a spirit of stinginess would be? My goodness, you guys are really catching up. So, what do you think would be the fruit of a spirit of holiness? What would it be? Holiness. Okay? So, if the fruit of a spirit of anger is anger, and the fruit of a spirit of lust is lust, and the fruit of a spirit of stinginess is stinginess, then we know that the fruit of a spirit of holy, uh, a holiness, or the fruit of the Holy Spirit, would be holiness. But sometimes what we've done is we've taken this word holiness and we've placed it into this austere kind of realm and yet the Lord breaks down what holiness looks like in practical terms. And the Lord says, this is what holiness is. But the fruit of the Spirit, of the Holy Spirit in other words, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So if you want to know what holiness looks like, this is what it is. Holiness looks like love. This is amazing. So everything that, everything that you know about life that makes life worth living, that makes life wonderful, things like love, joy, peace, patience, those things, that's what holiness looks like. You see... We've kind of like taken holiness and made it into something that looks like, you know, you've been sucking lemons and you've got a poker stuck up somewhere. And that's, that's uncomfortable. But the reality is, you know, I mean, there, there are moments like, I've often met, used this as an illustration. One of my greatest moments where I see beauty and holiness is almost every morning our children climb into bed with us and uh, particularly the, uh, one of them. The littlest one now. Um, but it, uh, actually, they, they often won't come. They will come and they'll come and they will cuddle with mo- uh, mom. And I will look over from my side of it and I'll watch Debbie interact with our children and I watch love. And I watch them interact. And literally, my heart just burns as I realize how beautiful that is. I mean, it's just amazing, you know? Um, this, uh, this week, we hadn't seen my son for a while. 
and uh, um, uh, on, su- uh, on Sunday we hadn't seen my son for a while and he came over to visit, uh, visit our house and um, he was visiting with his sister in her, in her little apartment and Debs came down, hadn't seen her boy for, uh, for a while and she went and she sat on him, which is you know, amazing to, to watch that transformation. She used, to, you know, she used to hold him and now she just goes and sits on him and her feet weren't fit, uh, uh, hitting the floor and her feet were just dangling and she just lay on her son and he put his arms around her and she looked tiny. She looked tiny in his arms. But the, the expression on both their faces was something so lovely. It's, it's a treasured memory in my heart right now. But I want you to understand what you're seeing is actual holiness. That every moment that you get love or joy or peace or patience, this is what the pursuit of holiness looks like. When we say live a holy life, what God's calling you to is to live a life that is abundant and full of everything that makes life worth living. That's what holiness really looks like. And, and I think, I'm just going to end with this. The reason Debs and I want to go after this is we, we've just been, I mean, it's funny. The Lord has conversations with you and he starts conversations sometimes. He'll be talking to Debbie about something. He's talking to me about something completely different, I think. And then like three months down the line, we realized it was the same conversation the whole time. So I've been out in my garden like the last three years, just loving my garden, etc. And, and the Lord just began to speak to me about like, I'm never going to have a beautiful garden unless I address the soil. Because the soil in Pinehurst is very challenging, you know. And um, so I, I just started learning about soil and changing the soil. And you've got to have a healthy soil in order to have a good harvest or a good, uh, have a beautiful garden. And then suddenly this week, the Lord just flipped it around and, and began to speak to me about, you know, Nigel, you're never going to have an abundant harvest in the world until you address the soil. And the soil is actually our culture. See, I always thought, I, I believed that we were reaching people, getting people to become Christians so that we can change the culture. But actually, perhaps we need to address the culture so that people will come to Christ. And, and you see, we've got an unhealthy culture. Our culture has become unhealthy. It doesn't, it, it, when you sow seed into our culture, it dies. It's unhealthy. And, and this is one of the reasons why we've got to go after these things. We've got to start changing the culture and going after beauty and love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. And my wife's going to pick it up from me. So the question is, do we need beauty to live? Do we need beauty to live? You know, strictly speaking, we hardly need any to survive physically. I I, I thought about it and thought, well, we do need some, even to survive physically. But especially when it comes to the intangible beauty, um, like Nigel was speaking of, love, joy, those sort of things, we don't need them necessarily, we hardly need them to survive physically, but we need them in order to make life worth living. The quality of your life is determined by how you value these things. Um, and I'm, I'm going to end um, with this. I, when I, um, somebody asked me, said, do you want to read this book, Culture Cure? Care. And um, 
I, I, I don't read every book someone tells me. There's so many great books out there, but I just felt this is the one. And so um, I picked it up, and um, he is, um, the guy who wrote the book is a, um, he is the head of the Department of Arts and Culture at Fuller University. And he's, one of the first things he starts off is he says he, um, he and his wife got married and he was an artist at the time and so they hardly had any money, like hardly zero money. And so they literally rationed out their food for the month. And this one day his wife comes home and she's got a bouquet of flowers and he's like, what on earth have you done? You put this bouquet of flowers. And, um, and he said, what are we going to survive on? What, how are we going to feed ourselves for the rest of the month? And she said to him, but we need to feed our souls as well. And he said that became a principle in his life to realize that actually um, our, how we live our lives, that we can't just be like, well, what's it take to survive? We live, we live in a world that there's a culture in which, you know, it's about, you know, how often commodity-based, how much you've got, uh, you know, so you'll live so that, you know, you have to be busy, you have to achieve this, you have to achieve that, and, you know, it's status and um, position, and, um, you know, as the Bible says, um, do not love the world or the things of the world, and it talks about the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, boasting in what you have and what, you know, what you've built up. And sometimes it's so easy to be drawn into that. Um, and we don't realize that actually just going after the next thing, making sure that uh, you know, we've, we've got more money and we've, we're busy and we've got that position, actually, that's, actually we need to stop and actually take note to gaze upon the beauty of God to whether it be a bouquet of flowers or, you know, because we do actually need more than just physical substance in our lives to survive. There's so much more in our lives. I, um, I um, you know, they, they say that you are affected by your surroundings, whether you realize it or not. So, you know, what's your your home looks like, if you go out into creation, what's outside your house, like, um, you know, just various different things that you put around your life, whatever, dancing, celebrating, you know, all those beautiful things, I'm not just talking about things, um, has an effect um, on your life. And I, you know, I just thought, um, there's that scripture in 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says, and we all with unveiled faces beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. And it's, there's that scripture of, as we behold God, we become like him. And he is beautiful. Um, you know, I remember in, in Genesis 30, 34, I don't know if you remember the story, Jacob had made a deal with Laban that he would take all the stock that is reproduced with the spotted sheep. And so then he did this thing of, gouging out notches in sticks and putting them in the drinking places. And then all the sheep came there, they drank, they saw these sticks, and that's where they reproduced. And they just reproduced. And for me, that, the, the thing, the lesson in that 
was whatever you put in front of you the most, you reproduce after. You reproduce it in your life. Whatever, we said this so many times, whatever you focus in on, you actually reproduce in your life. So that's why I think David said that I may gaze on your beauty because that's going to become part of who you are. And that's why I think, and we're going to explore this um, question more, is why beauty will change the world. It's because as we gaze as we put beauty in front of us, as in ultimately God, like David, we are transformed. Our society is transformed um, in such a way. So let's pray. Father, we're just, it seems, it seems that beauty seems to be, have such a limited um, we have such a limited understanding of beauty and its value in our world, what it is and how it affects us. And we just come before you today and we ask you to just reveal to us what beauty is. Reveal to us your beauty. Father, we see in your word that you are beauty and like David, he, that was his one thing. And Father, we just want to embrace your values because we know that's when we will thrive. And we want a culture not where we can just be sustained, but we want a culture where we can truly thrive. So we just come before you and we just ask that you would, you would make us see this as you see it. You would give us revelation. And Father, that we would make truly a beautiful culture with a beautiful life. And people coming into our presence and into this culture would truly be able to thrive and be fully themselves. Mm. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this message from Debbie Desmond. For more information, please visit nigeldebbie.org.